coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss, how is Russia putting up with this? Western intelligence hacked by Russia's Google, Yandex, to spy on accounts. Next up, where there is a wheel, there is a way. And finally, kid pro quo, child hackers who break law helped into high-flying IT jobs. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 19, recorded on July 1st, 2019. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. Welcome to the pun show, LaBelle. With me, co-host Emily. Help! I need an intro, hacker. And last but not least, Tim, when they hack a 68 Dodge Dart, I'll be impressed. Helming. Will you, Tim? He's not impressed yet. Oh, I, yeah. They haven't done it yet. But if they're able to pull that one off, I don't know how they're going to do it, but... Uh... <laughs> They'll have my attention for sure. <laughs> the 68 Dart did not have an onboard computer. That's it, good to know in yeah, context of like, this intro. I think the voltage regulator was the most sophisticated piece of electronics in that entire car. And that's not saying much. Did you know that? Now you know. And knowing is half the battle. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> 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 Another episode of Breaking Madness. And so we're going to jump right in before we get ourselves in too much trouble here with our first article of the day, which is how is Russia putting up with this? So hackers working for Western intelligence agencies broke into Russian internet search company Yandex in late 2018, deploying a rare type of malware in an attempt to spy on user accounts. So, Emily, can you start us off by providing a synopsis of the malware deployed in this attack? Yeah, so Regin is the malware that was deployed in this attack, and it's a type of malware that's been used by Western intelligence agencies from the U.S. and from Great Britain in the past, uh, potentially as early as 2003, although it seems it was first actually discovered um, in 2011 or 2012. So it's certainly not new, but it is notable in that... um, the source code isn't publicly available. The malware itself is modular, so it can be adjusted as needed for each campaign. And the malware can collect key logs, make screenshots. It can steal files from the system, extract emails, basically anything that your normal type of spying malware can do. But it is notable in that it is extremely sophisticated in conducting those particular types of spy tactics. Mm. And I, I know that you mentioned, too, that the source code isn't available. So... Do you agree with the attack being attributed to Western intelligence agencies? Is there enough evidence to back that claim up? Well, certainly from what I've read, it sounds like the people who have analyzed this have reason to believe it was Western intelligence agencies. And I can't speak with any level of confidence, but it certainly does seem that this can be attributed to Western intelligence agencies because, as you mentioned, the source code isn't available just out there to anyone. And it's also, this particular incident was a slightly modified version of the malware, meaning that the people that have the code are the ones using it. Um, Because of those two pieces of evidence, it is likely that the same group conducted this campaign that has used Regin in the past, which is the U.S. and Britain. Um, Also, I mean, it, it also gives a little more credence to the fact that this could be Western intelligence agencies because it's targeting Yandex um, and going after Russian users, most likely. So, I mean, it's not like the U.S. is the only country out there that has a reason to want to spy on Russia, but 
it definitely would be a little bit more questionable maybe if it was like the U.S. trying to spy on the U.S. Speaking of semantics, so they claim that Regin is the quote-unquote crown jewel or crown jewel of attack frameworks used for espionage. So its architecture, its complexity and capability apparently sits in the ballpark of its own, according to, to Symantec. So are there any other examples of this in the wild? First of all, how lonely, right, to sit in a ballpark of your own? What a sad it's a bad thought. baseball team. Exactly. <laughs> but that very sad mental picture aside, um, I did see word from Symantec that they have also seen evidence of Regin being used recently, but they are being pretty tight-lipped about where it was seen or against whom it is being used because they're trying not to breach their client's trust. I guess um, in the other case with Kaspersky and Yandex, either Yandex didn't care or Kaspersky didn't care because they were fine to just say like, yo, this was targeting Yandex. But Symantec wants to make sure that they are being a little more... um, Tight-lipped? Yeah. (laughs) Other than that, it has been seen in the past, obviously, targeting a variety of different organizations, including government institutions, financial institutions, research institutions, and at least 14 different countries. So this malware is not um, new. It's not something that we haven't seen before, but it is pretty unique to Western intelligence um, Hmm. operations. Yeah, and I know we talk very frequently in the infosecurity community about, you know, different nation states offensively hacking other nation states. And so it's something we don't talk about frequently where it's our own nation state potentially that's doing that uh, that attacking and campaigning. You know, isn't that weird? We don't think of ourselves as living in a nation state. We live in a well, nation state. We live in the greatest nation state of all the nation states, right? But we are a nation state actor. I mean, we, we are. Absolutely. Yeah, we're definitely a government actor and a APT the United States is. I just saw an argument a few weeks ago, though, from someone about usage of the word nation state, because not all the governments we refer to are actually nation states, which is a very good point. But um, they are nations nonetheless. And it is interesting to think of like we it's. uh, It's easy to fall into like a trap of thinking you are. Like innocent by default. But we have to remember that the U.S. is anything but. <laughs> and, um, yeah, they are no stranger to being on the offensive. Well, um, we're going to head into our hoodie goodie rating. And I'm going to start with you, Emily. Um, and so if you could give us just a little bit of detail uh, along what your rating entails and then sum it up basically with um, with what your gut feeling is on that that rating, what you believe that means that team should do in order to follow up. Uh, so this was, you know, it's a very advanced piece of malware. It's government-level espionage. Um, and there's only one victim. I know a lot of times we talk about, like, oh, it targeted the whole country, and so it's terrible. But, like, I think in some cases only one victim doesn't necessarily mean, like, uh, shrug it off. I just shrugged for those who cannot see me, which is everyone. For those at um, home. That was an audio shrug. Yeah. <laughs> so I still think it's fairly severe. Am I gut feeling is to give it six out of ten hoodies. However, that being said, there isn't much, I feel like, that a normal company needs to do. This was specifically targeting Yandex because Russian individuals use Yandex. And so if you're like 
a normal financial institution based in the United States. Like this probably doesn't affect you. So the the attack in this case didn't appear to actually get to the end users. It was targeting people who work at Yandex and supposedly, according to Yandex, was not successful. So all my weird reverse image searches of trying to geolocate photos are safe. <laughs> For now. <laughs> that sounds like an episode all by itself. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, Tim, what do you think? What's your rating here? Yeah. I, you know, where I go with this one is, first of all, I, I agree that this is a little more severe than a lot of the stuff we talk about. So um, something in the six range is appropriate. And, you know, where my mind goes with this is, well, this is out there where will it be repurposed? Like, is it going to be, can somebody nefariously repurpose this and do different targeting, which could be a lot more dangerous for um, U.S. or other Western-based organizations? I don't know the answer to that. Um, But if we found out that that were the case, that would make it higher than six. But I'm going to go along with uh, Emily's rating and say six feels like the right one for this particular one. Six out of ten. Absolutely. A great point about um, the info security space, um, love for recycling, especially TTPs of different nation state threat actors. So we are going to um, shift gears, shift gears (laughs) into our next article where there's a wheel, there's a way. I was going to say we're not talking about drive-by downloads here, but I like shifting gears better, Tim. That was That's beautiful. That's okay. Either one. I like how he was so excited for that pun that he was like jumping into the middle. Jumping at the bit. Yet another thing you can't see on the <clears throat> radio, so to speak. <laughs> he literally jumped over here. Well, okay. So anyway, the important bit here to get into, other than, of, of course, the pun, is that an Israeli firm called Regulus Cyber issued a press release stating that spoofing attacks on the Tesla GNSS, um, a.k.a. GPS receiver, could easily be carried out wirelessly and remotely in the firm's demonstration attack on the Tesla Model 3. So, Can I just say, by the way, just even before we get into this, that wirelessly – yeah, really? Because that's – God, I'm so glad to hear they've got wireless GPS right now because I'm so tired of carrying around a 10,000-mile cable <laughs> to connect my car to the satellites up there. A fantastic point. Oh, my gosh. Didn't even think about that. <laughs> I'm envisioning, like, a bunch of cars with cables. Right. And they're, like, like Way up when my dogs sky. are, like, going the opposite ways in their leashes and they get all tangled up together, that would be cars. On that the would pretty much happen, like, in in one parking lot. It would already be game over. I'm imagining a kid with its head stuck out of the, uh, like, the sunroof holding what would be, like, a handle for a kite with the wire. And as the car is driving, the kid is just holding this wire. <laughs> Keep it connected. Say, Keep it connected. Don't let it loose, Jerry. <laughs> How will we know where we'll we are? We'll never get to Aunt Martha's house if you let that go. Oh, my God. Is that what that movie Kite Runner and that, that book Kite Runner about? Yeah, I don't it know. was exactly that. <laughs> A seamless segue into the world of no, This is about cars, not segways. Segways are a different matter. Also wireless. <laughs> yes, indeed. If you take anything away from this podcast, I hope it's that segways are wireless. Anyways, okay, so I think we can all agree there's quite a bit of FUD, uh, fear, uncertainty, doubt in the security industry. And it sounds like this demo comes with a fairly large asterisk. 
So, Tim, what what are Regulus claims? The quick answer to that is they're saying they were able to commandeer the autopilot system in the Tesla Model 3 to command the car to suddenly slow down and unexpectedly veer off the edge of the main road. But this is one of those situations where you sort of have to parse their words. And in fact, there were some hints in the press release um, right before what I just, the quote that I just read out, um, because they said a staged attack caused this veering and slowing to occur. So staged attack can mean two things, right? It, one is, um, and this is how you get the maximum FUD factor out of this. Well, any attack has to be staged. I mean, that's that's what you do, right? It's, it's sort of the initial preparation before you do it. Um, but the in the other sense, it staging suggests that they had to do some really elaborate, unusual uh, preparations. That's what I'm referring to here. Take some special measures to set this attack up that wouldn't be applicable in the real world. And uh, so would you like to ask me if that would be, in other words, a stunt? Would it be? Would it be what, Kelsey? In other words, a stunt. I would say, I would have to say, well, let's talk more about this and then you decide. (laughs) Stunned well or not. Stunned or not. Yeah, so I know you've prepared a closer look at that demo. Do you mind getting into that? So here's where the staging comes in. They, the Regulus people, kind of sort of attached an antenna to the car and wired it into its systems before they could do the attack. Yeah. As one does. <laughs> As one does. Not exactly something an everyday attacker will do while you're at the grocery store. And this antenna and the electronics connected to it were not exactly like a little microscopic James Bond kind of thing. You would definitely notice this thing stuck on your Tesla Model 3 if someone was trying to pull off the attack in that way. But that's actually not really the main point. Uh, the main point is the attacker, um, in this case, uh, they, they had access to the vehicle and did stuff to it before they made the attack work. Now, it... Uh, must be admitted, the reason they did that probably was that uh, that way they didn't have to use a super high-powered transmitter to spoof the GNSS signals. By attaching that little antenna to the car, it meant that they could use a much smaller uh, transmitter that's really just targeting that one car. So um, if they didn't mind lighting up a, you know, a whole bunch of area with false navigation signals, then they could have gotten by without that. And um, we're just going to pause here because Emily's whacking I'm the, sorry. the infrastructure here <laughs> in the building. It's Aggie, like, weapon I wear. Ah, okay. <laughs> I think you bring up a great point, Tim, which is what is GNSS spoofing? So basically, it's using a radio transmitter that you're controlling to impersonate the GPS satellites and sending false data to whatever system or systems you're trying to fool. So in this case, it was a car. And the thing that makes this possible is that when GPS was developed, the developers of it figured no one would try to spoof these signals. And even if they did, that would be wicked hard. They were, so, were they discovered and crafted by Bostonians? Absolutely. They must have been. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't have said wicked hard. But uh, so they didn't build in any provisions for authentication or really much of any other security to these absolutely critical systems. Well, obviously, lots of people tried to spoof these signals and they've succeeded. We've heard about that before. Um, 
And since GPS receivers are just sitting there listening for this data, if you have the right kind of uh, transmitting apparatus and you have the right data to send them, the receivers will happily take your data instead of the actual satellite's data. So if you want to tell the car's navigation system that the road it really wants is over there, it could possibly cause some kind of swerving action like, hey, I'm about to miss the off-ramp, and the car swerves over to get on that other road. But that depends on a lot of factors. That That's like you have to know that some GPS-enabled thing is going to blow by that off-ramp unless you send a spoofed signal right now, and that's just kind of complicated. Can I hack the GPS of the this segment, if you will, and detour us to a... <sighs> Um, funny story. With of, much swerving and screeching <laughs> of tires. swerving action. Here it is. Um, it's funny that they're spending all this time to, you know, spoof the GPS signals and blah, blah, blah. When just the other day I read a story about how <laughs> dozens, if not hundreds of cars. Okay. Were you going to talk about this? No, I wasn't. Okay. But I know where you're going with this. Dozens of cars ended up literally stuck in the mud in the middle of like a dirt road in a cornfield or something. Yeah. Not because of oh, any shucks. spoof GPS signal, but because of just Google. Everybody was using Google and Google routed them on a dirt road that had just rained. So it was now a mud road and like dozens of people got stuck. No GPS spoofing required. Like the logic basically works. I, this is an oversimplification, obviously, but the logic works like, oh, the map has a thing that looks kind of like a line on it. Let's send them there. And it's great because as I was reading it, I was like, I would definitely have done that. Like, I follow Google. We're all blindly. Michael Scott driving into, into the lake. <laughs> that is not a road. Good stuff. Anyways, sorry to uh, no, that was make a, us that veer was off the road. Appropriate, well uh little diversion there. Yes, indeed. Rerouting to another question for Tim on that note. Which is, are there any are there any statements from Tesla on any of this? Yeah. Well, yeah, Tesla basically just pretty much laughed this thing off almost. I mean, they had to put out a little bit more professional statement than that, but they, they took these guys to task. They called it a cheap marketing stunt or something like that. And, you know, I kind of have to agree with them. I mean, it, this kind of fun, it's like saying, the tires of this car just blew out with a little asterisk that says, after we threw a bunch of sharp metal spikes on the road in front of it. <laughs> a fair point. A fair point indeed. So are there are there any conclusions you draw from this staged demo, let's call it, and how should how should Tesla respond or more importantly maybe what can Regulus learn? I have to say companies at this point really need to be pretty careful about these breathless exclamations about the car hacks they're pulling off. People, especially InfoSec people, are rightly skeptical about it. Uh, I guess if they're still able to get the headlines, you know, there's that school of thought that says there's no such thing as bad publicity. Still, I think if you discover some kind of basically RCE, you know, like remote code execution on a car, which you can demonstrate reliably in a really RCA, RCE kind of way, so meaning hands-off, no kind of extraordinary access to the victim system, then what you do is you responsibly disclose that to the car company. And, you know, then you like you do a demo of it at DEF CON after it's been patched. Um, you don't go doing press releases like this one. And as for Tesla, I mean, they should always do some level of due diligence on any risks that are brought up. And they 
I'm sure they probably did that behind closed doors in this case. And I think their reaction was appropriate. So, but this got me to thinking because actually uh, Tesla probably has everything that they would need to, in fact, be able to detect when the GNSS is being spoofed because the cars are full of all these accelerometers and things that, that tell it, okay, it knows exactly how fast it's going, it knows exactly where it turned and all that stuff, and it's got the GPS signals. So the car would actually be able to sort of feel if the GPS was suddenly telling it that there was a curve where it, there wasn't going to be one before. So I actually wouldn't be surprised if there were a way that, that it could say, uh, you know, flash some kind of warning up that says there's an issue with the GPS data integrity or something like that because what the GPS is telling me suddenly doesn't match up with what the car, uh, you know, kind of knows is true based on these other systems that it has. So we'll see. But that would be that would be actually kind of a cool thing to come out of this uh, in the fullness of time. Absolutely. And I expect with um, with what you've discussed today that uh, when we get to the hoodie goodie scale, which is now, that it's going to be a fairly low score. What, what do you what do you have in mind? Yeah, I'm struggling with whether even to make this a one hoodie kind of event. Um, I think if you step back from the th- this particular stunt and look at uh, GPS spoofing or GNSS spoofing more broadly, that's another matter. Um, that is a uh, something to be concerned about. But looking at this specific incident, yeah, you know, this is like 500 millihoodies or maybe one hoodie. Even if you are driving a Tesla, you should not be worried about this. I would happily hop into a Tesla right now and go on a road trip in it with no worries at all that anything bad was going to happen because of this stunt. Unless, of course, there was this mysterious antenna that suddenly <laughs> appeared on the car. Yeah, that might be one of my ham radio antennas. Alone. That's fine. No problem <laughs> sure. with that. Yeah, you know, and I mean, sure, with Google, we might wind up in that muddy field. But hey, you know, at this point, there's probably a big party there. I mean, accurate. <laughs> I mean, if I owned a food truck, I would be so there (laughs) right now. Here we are. Emily, what do you think? Would you rate this at? I agree that this is a an an extremely low hoodie event. My first gut feeling is zero out of ten hoodies. I just don't think this really amounts to much of anything. I think it is someone regulus. Trying to <laughs> malware, <laughs> trying to get their name circulating, which in that regard they're highly effective. But it's kind of like one of those, you know, in like Scooby Doo, where they like take the the mask off and it's like of the bad guy, and it turns out not to be a bad guy at all. I'm imagining like it was just Mr. Peterson. Exactly, it's kind of <laughs> like that where it's like this seems really scary. You like take like the Guy Fox mask off, and it's like, oh no, it was just a marketing stunt the whole time. Like there's nothing actually there, so. I don't know. I I don't know that I've ever given out zero out of ten hoodies, but mark this day in history, July 1st, 2019. Today in Breaking Bad News History, Emily Hacker gives a zero hoodie rating. Let it be known to the records. Now it is known. (laughs) So it is written, so shall it be done. All righty, well, fair play. This leads us into our final article, which is Kid Pro Quo. Children who have the potential to become dangerous hackers and online criminals are being targeted by a new program to divert them into legal employment. So When they're what, like six? <laughs> I know, this is slowly turning into a discussion around like, child labor. Right. Um, 
thin line, thin line here we're crossing. Um, so for starters, I think we can generally just have a discussion around this. And so can you, can either of you provide any programs mentioned in this article that seem similar to that of the UK's or a summary of these types of programs, generally speaking? Yeah. So in this case and in similar models, basically they take, they, the word kids is being thrown around, but I do think we need to clarify that this one in particular says it is aimed at individuals between the ages of 13 and 22. So um, don't worry, your toddler is not going to be picked up from preschool or wherever toddlers are and being hauled off to this program if they hack into their like whatever kind Speak of... Speak and spell. Sure. I'm Ooh. not familiar with children's toys, but that sounds good. Um, it is between the ages of 13 and 22. 22, not sure I'd call those people kids, but that's just my opinion. A IOT speak and spell is actually sounding so terrifying now that you brought that up, Tim Helming. That is a good point, yeah. That would be really scary. Anyway, I had to share that fear with the rest of the class. Um, a little fear, uncertainty, and doubt. <laughs> if you will. <laughs> um, thank you for that synopsis, Emily. And Tim, what, what do you think about these types of programs generally? I think the bigger picture here is that markets in a – in a sort of a human way, markets just work the way markets work. There's supply and there's demand, right? So there's demand for hacking skills. And so there's definitely that demand will be expressed by illegal uh, activities that can benefit from those skills. And that demand can be expressed by legal, wholesome, good activities. Um, and, you know, one is likely to pay more than the other one. So I think these programs are well-intentioned. Uh, I think time will tell whether how effective they are because this has always been true of crime versus not crime, um, depending on what, you know, what kind of skills you had. Um, you could, um, you know, either use your skills for good or for evil. And if you felt like the risk of getting caught was an acceptably low level of risk, then, you know, some people make that choice to go uh, go on the black hat side of things, whether it's literally with hacking or just with whatever they're doing, doing it criminally instead of in the um, legal way. So every, all the kids that they're talking about here are going to kind of weigh that, oh, it's nice that they want to give me a job uh, that takes advantage of my skills and hopefully pays decently. This person over here says, you know, they're going to pay me thus and such, like probably much higher amount than what these jobs are going to pay. Uh, although the, the health benefits might not be as good with the, the hacky work. I don't, I don't really know. Hacky work? Know. The hacky work. work, yeah. Yeah, yeah an excellent point. Like does Primera work on the dark web? I don't know. <laughs> so let's, let's hop into the hoodie and goodie rating. And I'm assuming in this situation both of you will lead towards a goodie rating, but I'll be curious to hear what you say. And I'll start with you, Emily. Yeah, I definitely agree this is a goodie versus a hoodie um, type of situation. I think that I'll have to see how this actually plays out and how it works. A very, a very nice, hopeful part of my brain wants to believe that this is something that will keep young people between the ages of 13 and 22, I refuse to say kids if they're 22, um, you know, out of jail or out of criminal situations that'll maybe be on the record forever. And in that case, I would give it maybe like a 
like a four goodies out of ten. Um, if it works out, I think this is like I would love to see this adopted. I don't know how, but with other types of crime as well. I don't think there's. You know, in a certain way, I mean, this is almost a little bit similar to how what bug bounties are about, right? Yes. Because the idea was that the reward of getting the bug bounty outweighs what you think you might be able to steal from, you know, using that exploit or something like that. And I think it, I would hope that these programs teach kids that, like, there's this, there's this nice, like, fanciful thought that we all have about crime. I think anyone who's worked in InfoSec has had that moment where they're like, the grass... And the money are probably green on the other side. But, like, it's not true. The criminals don't actually make that much money. The vast majority of them, I feel like, don't make that much Because we only hear about the ones who do. Exactly. Yeah. But, like, I don't think that these kids are going to be, like, rolling in the dough <laughs> if they keep up with their life of crime. I don't know about Tim, if you agree. Yeah. I know. I do agree. And that's a really interesting point to think about, actually, because it is easy to assume that there's way better and easier money uh, if you don't have the complication of, you know, morals and ethics. Um, but in fact, that may not always be true. With that in mind, what's your uh, what's your rating for this, Tim? You know, I, this is going to be really boring because it's the same, but I was four was the number I was thinking of too, because I think there's potential here. Um, I think the reach of it is not going to be tremendous, but um, I certainly hope that it is, uh, that it's successful. So, and I, it may lead to other kinds of programs like this. So I'm going to go with four and we'll keep our eyes on it and see, um, you know, it's probably going to take some time, but in a year or two, maybe we'll have some, some data on how many people have joined these programs. Absolutely. Well, if anybody, um, any of our listeners here have any opinions about anything we're ever discussing, do feel free to throw those into our blog post. We're always interested to hear what you think as well. But that really wraps up our conversation this week. And so that leads us into hopefully a long weekend for everybody coming up here with the 4th of July. And on that note, I want to give folks a heads up to emotionally prepare that we will not be with you next week, but will in fact be back on July 17th with you for our next podcast. And we really look forward to, to speaking to you then, hearing from you as well, if you do like to comment on our blog. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at blog.domaintools.com. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's it for this week. We'll see you again next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>